Well, Ryan, we're back again with the the high ground. Welcome, uh, Premier Ag's podcast, and and we got a special guest with us today. But he's calling in. He's not joining us in the sound room. He's out in the field, as most good agronomists are. And uh, I'd like to introduce our region, Premier Ag's region agronomist, Glenn Longaball. So, hey, Glenn. Good morning, all. So, Glenn. Good morning, all. How are things out there today? Out in the field. Yeah, so we've got a beautiful day today, and weather is <laughs> the forecast is against us, and guys are are taking full advantage of it. We've got actually a lot of ground. Uh, this ground's probably still a little bit plastic, but there's a lot of um, uh, tillage work being done. Uh, still, surprisingly, a lot of soybeans and corn in the field, and yeah. these guys are taking advantage of this beautiful weather to get the last of, um, or at least make another dent in soybeans. Yeah, we were talking about that this morning. It just seems like uh, we still have a lot of crops left out there. And and just to give uh, our listeners some perspective, uh, we're in uh, November of, of 2021. And uh, right now, uh, we are, are looking at going into 2022 with, um, you know, some supply shortages and, and uh, also some, some uh, input cost increases. And, Glenn, I know, uh, I mean, you advise us on all things – agronomic but you know for years you've taught us um, so the listeners know that a system's input for for high yields and can you uh, just kind of give us your thoughts on pushing pushing yields in an environment where the input costs are are uh, what they currently are at this time and and um, I know we're looking at some some of our systems that we use and and uh, some growers are asking us what to what to take out of the input cost and and there's not many components of our systems that we can remove uh so just can you give us some of your thoughts on that boy this is i tell you that's more of an economics lesson probably than an agronomics lesson we started you know off with the easy in. one yeah <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Let's fix yeah, the tax this code. This is planned, and it's a beautiful day. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know what? It really doesn't change, right? Um, uh, here's the deal, right? I know that input costs are high. Uh, inputs are likely going to be limited next spring. Uh, I battle this myself, as many of you on here listening know. I do farm a little bit. And I'm telling you, when you're facing $800 plus uh, potash and DAP prices, um, you know, you're, the, the thought is, well, hey, is, can I cut this back? Can I do without? And then you look at the crop you just raised and you start doing the, uh, as Jethro Bodine would do, would say, you do the <laughs> Times and Gazentas. <laughs> right? oh the, uh, the, the cost, the, the, the cost, uh, of the of fertilizer this year in bushels has not appreciably changed, right? Interesting. Uh, it, it's just slightly higher. And so, you know, I, I think that you know, this seems a little long in the tooth, a little late in the year to be talking about a strategy. But, I mean, hopefully, um, if you make fall applications of P&K, uh, you've already sat down with somebody, came up with a strategy, whether that's flat rating uh, removal, whether that's uh, doing removal by – um, you know, by zones and by yield, whether that's uh, doing maybe uh, grid sampling and, and taking new new grids. I mean, there's there's a lot of different strategies to bite this off, but the absolute minimum, right? Let me let me let me cut to the chase. The absolute minimum that you should be putting on 
uh, is is removal, yeah. right? That is the absolute minimum. If you're not doing that, then you're setting yourself up to potentially get behind because every time we have one of these boom years and then it's followed with uh, higher commodity prices and higher input costs, the guys that try to, that try to trim back uh, and get behind are often the ones that get hurt the most. And ultimately, the guys that are going to be successful are always the one that posts the biggest yields. Yeah. Right? So so if you start with seed, I think seed's going to go up this year, probably not appreciably, uh, you know, compared to what commodity prices are doing. You look at P&K prices, they're up considerably. You look at chemical prices, uh, certain products are up uh, quite a bit. Other products really have not appreciably changed. I mean, on the big scheme of things, sure. right? yeah. But uh, you think about nitrogen, uh, P and K, uh, those are big input uh, numbers, just like seed. You know, so corn will will often get a hundred plus dollars an acre in corn. If it costs one twenty to get the best corn, you better put the best corn out there. Um, you know, crop protection products, right? The most of the things that that Premier actually sells, that they, uh, you know, that growers often attribute, boy, they're just really getting into me deep. You know, oftentimes we only spend. I'd say the average grower is probably a little over $50 an acre on crop protection products. And so uh, that's without all the the, F, the extras, right? Sure. I'm not talking about fungicides. I'm yeah. talking about just cleaning up a crop. It's a relatively modest value. Uh, when you think about P&K, you know, historically, we've spent somewhere between, if you did just the maintenance amounts, you probably had, you know, $60 to $80 an acre. If you did uh, some buildup or really tried to straighten things up, tried to push yields with, you know, by getting your fertility up, you'd, you'd maybe have a hundred dollars or a little more, uh, a little ex- in excess of a hundred dollars. You know, this year you might have 160, but commodity prices are, are probably in line. The one that scares me the most is nitrogen, right? Yeah. We cannot raise a good corn crop without nitrogen. And, and so the only, and, and typically we spend, you know, anywhere from 80 to $120 on nitrogen, depending on how much you put on, what forms you use, um, uh, you know, how frugal of a gourmet you can be. But it is the one ingredient to the cake that you cannot, you, you cannot uh, allow to be limiting. And so what strategies would a grower use in this environment? Well, you know, uh, you, you want to try to get the mostest for the leastest. And the way you get the most for the least with nitrogen is, is, by, is by protecting the nitrogen you put out. So if you're putting out nitrogen this spring, I would absolutely positively use products that I use urease inhibitors to make sure it got into the ground if you're making surface applications. And I would probably use... Uh, I wouldn't probably, depending on which application it was and how much I was putting on, uh, any of my bigger applications, I would have a nitrification inhibitor, whether that's in-serve or instinct. Yep. I would have a nitrification inhibitor in there to protect it below ground. And then the other component, which doesn't really cost, uh, it, it doesn't cost you a lot of money. It just costs you a lot in logistics is around timing, right? If we can spoon feed nitrogen, then obviously you can get by with considerably less. And that's a way to make your nitrogen dollar go farther. That's, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't just sit back and say, well, I'm going to, you know, we'll just wait this out and see what happens. I'd be starting to make yeah. a strategy right now. Yeah, that's a good, we're going to have actually, uh, it's interesting you bring that up, Glenn, because we were talking about that yesterday about, uh, you know, nitrogen stabilization. And, and we've actually got a, uh, this will be our first grower offered teams meeting teams is kind of like zoom 
It's a Microsoft platform. We're going to have a grower training here in a couple of weeks just to make sure, uh, I guess a week and a half, just to make sure that growers are aware of, of how to protect their nitrogen investment. And uh, that was unscripted. And, and like all of our podcasts are unscripted, but that's uh, uh, good that you point that out. So, Glenn, what, uh, thank you for the insight then on the economics of the agronomics. What about, the, uh, what about current pest? Uh, make the podcast a little fun. What about all these, uh, uh, I go to church or, or out in the community and people complain to me about all the stink bugs we're seeing this fall. Uh, what, yeah. what are those critters doing? Uh, tell, us, tell us about that little pest. Yeah. Well, stink bugs have been a nemesis for us the last several years. And they're not such a huge pest in corn. Um, in fact, by the way, so when we talk about stink bugs, there are several stink bugs that infest uh, southern Indiana. And some of them are beneficial and some of them are parasitic, right? The, 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 uh, that particular order of insects is called Hemiptera. And they're easily identified because they have a half leathery, half membranous wing and their wings lay over their back, um, kind of making a little, uh, a, a little triangle of leather right behind their thorax. And, um, and then it'll be membranous over their abdomen. Not all stink bugs are bad, but the ones you're seeing now are the remnants of what actually infected our soybean crop. In fact, I'm pulling one off the windshield of my truck right now, oh. throwing him out the window. <laughs> so uh, these guys, I'm telling you, I, I don't want you to have to get it. <laughs> I don't want you to have to edit a bunch of expletives out, but they <laughs> no, you can tell it. You can call them what they are. I'm yeah, telling right. you, they absolutely <laughs> piss me off because they are costing huge bushels. Well, they're costing us huge bushels on soybeans. And I thought, you know, I thought as an agronomist, a veteran agronomist, you know, I just turned 60 years old not long ago. I thought as a veteran agronomist, I could kill almost anything. And yet these guys have me uh, kind of questioning that. So in my high yield soybean trials this year, we not only ran at two different timings, uh, uh, an insecticide, but we ran two different insecticides. We ran both a synthetic pyrethrin, which is generally pretty good about knocking them down, especially when you're talking about grizzly or tundra, sure. you know, which is lambda cyhalothrin or bifenthrin. But in addition to that, we put um, imidacloprid. It's a it's a product called Advise Four. Yep. Uh, we actually put that with it to try to uh, increase some systemic activity. Now, I couldn't do all fields because some of the fields are close to where we keep bees and that sort of thing. And we try to be, you know, I, I think growers need to realize that we live in a glass house. and We can't just go willy nilly and, and try to drop uh, nuclear bombs out in the countryside. So uh, if you're using uh, something like advice for imidacloprid or, or thiamethoxin, which is active ingredient in indigo, then you need to be very conscious of, yeah. of your neighbors. And, and if you have, like, for example, I've got melons in this part of the world and most of the melon growers have beehives around, but, but to back to the, to the point, I could, re, I could get them to leave for some short period of time, but it surprised me how quickly they came back. And um, uh, I didn't have a lot of longhorn beetle uh, injury. The, the larvae from longhorn beetles is called a, um, um, uh, pardon me, I'm just, I'm totally blanked out, but well, it's a, um, we did catch you on a, the spot. A, 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 well, yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> anyway, it's called a, um, 
Adectes stem borer. That was right? on the tip so of my tongue. Longhorn... Uh, just get ready to I say that yeah. right before you, you just beat in. me. I, yeah, uh, you give me, you beat me. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, so we controlled the Adectes stem borers with those insecticide applications, and I think we set a lot of the the um, uh, stink bugs over into the neighboring fields. But as far as actually killing them and having season-long control, we did no such thing. And and, um, and what does that damage? I can tell you, we had. What does that damage look like, Glenn? For I mean, other than being the nemesis in the laundry room, as my wife would would uh, yeah. uh, would say, but what the, what does that damage look like in the field? What how does that impact the growth? Yeah, yeah. So so a lot of times it goes a little bit unnoticed, right? You when you have um, you, when you have stink bugs, unlike grasshoppers and Mexican bean beetles and uh, Japanese beetles and most of the coleopters, those are the beetles, they have chewing mouth parts. And so it's real obvious their damage is, is so easy to identify. You can see it going down the visual. road 60 miles yeah. an hour. Yeah, it's very visual. In the case of mypteras, right, these true bugs is they have piercing, sucking mouth parts. And so they actually stick their, uh, they stick their little proboscis into the um, soybean and they're trying to make a living off of that photosynthate that that plant uh, would hopefully use to either uh, make new growth or to shuffle into the pod to actually make soybeans. In addition to that, they can actually go through the wall of the pod, right? They can go through the pod itself into the beans and suck on the soybeans. Hmm. And oftentimes when you see uh, discolored or shriveled up beans, uh, that is because they they were actually parasitized by by stink bugs. But stink bugs are ferocious feeders, and even though the leaves might not be missing, they are actively uh, working and parasitizing your soybeans. They are bad hombres. We hate them things. All right, uh, we do. So, Glenn, this is Ryan, and I've always wanted to ask you a question since yeah, you've right. always called me out on plot days. <laughs> and so so uh, I've always looked forward to this opportunity. But going back to the economics just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> so, yeah, brace yourself. Uh, but, uh, but going back to the economics just for a little bit, and we talk about these high in- input costs that we're dealing with. We have a lot of people that talk about pushing their yields because it's $5 corn. And I always think, I always kind of equated that in my mind to people that don't buy lottery tickets until the, the jackpot's like $400 million because they couldn't have used the $150 million that it was two weeks ago. So when we talk about <laughs> pushing yields at $5 corn, when is it more important to push yields? $5 corn, $250 corn. And, and taking, the, taking the entire input cost out of it, we have the $5 corn that we've wanted. When do we push yields now? Wow, what a question! You know, I, I I've would, saved that uh, for years. <laughs> I would love, to, I, I, <laughs> I would love to see this pose to a mere mortal agronomist. Right? A mere mortal <laughs> agronomist. <laughs> with, I like it. <laughs> a mere mortal agronomist with no heads up. But you know what? I think I know where you're leading me here. And here's the deal: it makes no difference whether you got four dollar corn or you got six dollar corn. The guy, the winners are always the guys that have the highest yields, right? I, even if it's good times like it really was this year, because the inputs for this year's crop were done in the rearview mirror. We're yeah. worried about next year's input costs, right? But ultimately, it makes no difference. If you skimped, right? If you, <laughs> let's say it was $4 corn and or $3.50 corn like it was two years ago at this time, and you skimped, 
you might save 10 or $15 on crop protection. You might, you know, you might save, you know, 20 or $30 on, on P and K. You might save 10 on nitrogen. You might save uh, five or $10 on seed. This is going with the cheapest option on everything. The problem is, uh, you, you, that's like anting up in a poker game, right? If you took the minimal amount of inputs and added them up without rent, you'd probably still have $400 invested in a corn crop. Contrast that with uh, actually stretching a little bit on P and K, making sure it's not limiting, stretching a little bit, or maybe making an extra application on nitrogen, using the highest quality seed that you can sequester, right? The difference might only be 60 to $80. Well, do you find that out by, you know, five or six bushel? It takes a lot fewer bushels to, to make up that difference. But ultimately, the, the winners, you know, there's always winners and losers in agriculture. And you're saying, well, gee, everybody's a winner this year. That's true. But when that piece of ground comes up next, you know, comes up for sale next to you, the guys that are consistently pushing yields are the guys that probably have the deepest pockets when that ground comes up for sale. Right. That's and um, I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I compared it to a poker game, right? If you look at how much we have invested in a corn crop for the for the margin we make on an average corn yield, you it is very thin margin. It's like anting up in a in a poker game with you know the biggest bet right out of the gate. And so when we talk about making in season amendments, the reason why I get so jacked up about that, there is no better dollar spent and fungicides and insecticides and nutritionals and those things we do in crop that actually uh, put the icing on top, you know, put that that cram to cram up on the top of that that crop, those are oftentimes the best dollars you spend all year long. Yeah, you right? the other things we have to do. Those are basically fixed costs, right? Now, your banker, when you go to do a, a, a cash flow, he calls them all variable costs. That's bull. <laughs> they're not very close. You have to have nitrogen. You have to have seed. That's an accounting term. That was right? fertilizer. I think you meant to say that's <laughs> fertilizer. Right. Staying on topic, Lynn. Yeah, that's full, that's fertilizer. You know what? You don't need to scrub that. Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes they need to hear the naked truth. Right? That's right. And, uh, and you know what? I think most farmers in the 20, I think most farmers in the 21st century get that. Right? Yeah. They, they realize that. Uh, they've already got so much invested in the crop. Let's go ahead and stretch, right? Because how many times uh, have you had growers that make those in-season amendments and then they are absolutely shocked at the return, right? Uh, a 40, you know, do we expect 40 bushel? No. But on a year where you had tar or a year where you have, um, you know, something like um, uh, oh, uh, uh, southern rust, uh, a year where you have really bad insect pressure, you know, those guys that make those that are really good stewards season long, yeah. right. On corn are off ones that are, that are very well rewarded on the tail end. Right. Plan for success. Um, yep. Absolutely. I mean, I, I guess I don't want to get biblical on you. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of references in the Bible about, um, you know, 
you, you plant a seed and it'll be returned a hundredfold. Well, here's what I would tell you about economics, right? The largest inputs to a crop are absolutely free, right? Hmm. Nitrogen, you know, nitrogen, uh, potassium, phosphorus, fungicides, herbicides, those things are just in service to that plant doing what it does. And what that plant does is it uses the power of sunlight, which doesn't cost you anything, unless you consider the rent that it takes to, to, to you know, have the medium. But the, it uses the power of sunlight to fix CO2, which is also uh, free, right? The CO2 in the atmosphere. And it uses uh, water to make glucose, right? That is the primary function of a plant is to use the power of sunlight to fix CO2 into glucose. And all the things that we do are just in service to that, right? They are just the periphery to those inputs. Those inputs are free. And so when you got the raw materials are free, the guy that can exploit that system and get the most carbon sequestered into glucose is going to be the winner. I like the way you put that. Yeah. And that's probably a pretty good note to end on. Since we're, uh, you couldn't stump the the uh, immortal. I couldn't agronomist. I couldn't. I do. I wouldn't have gone out after a normal. I would have gone after a normal person with that question, Glenn. Without any, uh, without any. Yeah, a mere more, yeah. a mere mortal agronomist. <laughs> yes. We do appreciate your time. It has been a great, uh, great learning experience, and uh, and we're going to be doing a lot of these, and, and we hope to have you back on a continual basis because uh, we want to drive this message not only to the folks who are purchasing these products, but we want to continue to to uh, message this to those around us. And we want to key in on pushing the bushels and also being good stewards yep. and, um, and how we, how we manage that message to everyone who we come in contact with. And, and we think you do a great job of that. We do appreciate your time. So All right. Sal, anything else? No, that's it. Thank you very much, Glenn. And we'll be, uh, have a good day and we'll be uh, talking to you later. It was my pleasure. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks Glenn. Glenn. See you.